0: Right. um, Psalm 72. Psalm 72. Does anybody want to read Psalm 72 for us this morning? That's what we're going to be looking at. Um, Any hands going up? Yes, Gareth. Thank you very much. Okay. Psalm 72. Come and grab the mic.
1: Endow the King with your justice, O God, the Royal Son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted amongst the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him with gifts. May all kings bow down to him, and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out and the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May corn abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvellous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen.
0: Thanks, buddy. What are you longing for? Now, there'll be something, maybe lots of things, but there will be something, and you perhaps can't put a name on it, but you know it's there, because there are days when for no particular reason you find yourself a little bit dissatisfied because you don't have that thing. There's a popular word in German. Now, Ellie, you'll have to help me with pronunciation here. Sein sucht. Is that good? Sein sucht. Sein sorry. Um, it has no specific English translation, but it's a word C.S. Lewis relied on in some of his writings, to convey this inconsolable longing for for something, but we don't really know what it is. And he spoke of it as this intense desire for something beyond our human capacity to fulfill. And this crops up in some of his his writings, as I've just mentioned. So in some of his more popular, child-friendly Narnia um, books, I read this. This is a quote from one of them. You might remember. I think it's The Magician's Nephew. Says this, perhaps it has sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand, but in the dream it feels as if it had some enormous meaning, a lovely meaning, too lovely to put into words, which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and are always wishing you could get back into the dream again. You ever been there? You had a dream and you like wake up like, oh, I want to be back there. Well, today we're looking at this, this Psalm, Psalm 72, and I hope that as we think about these beautiful verses, we're going to be left with something of that longing. Uh, we know that ultimately it's never going to be fulfilled down here on earth. We're going to fight and strive for it, but ultimately it's, it's not going to be fulfilled here. There's going to be a sense of dissatisfaction, but it is going to cast our vision heavenward to Jesus. Zinsucht. <laughs> psalm seventy-two. Um, you should know it's a royal psalm; hence, why I've chosen it uh, for today, this this kind of coronation weekend. And it starts with the superscription there of Solomon. You didn't read that out, Gareth, um, but that's a part of the original of Solomon. And uh, sorry, that's no, not telling off. It's just, you know, we just we, we can read we can read these things. You don't need to read the psalm. 72 and the other NIV titles. They're not in the original, but of Solomon was. There you go. Now, of Solomon, it could mean two things. It could mean that King Solomon has written this just like all the other Psalms David wrote, titled of David. If so, then Solomon is praying both for himself and all who follow on from him in the royal Davidic line of kings. And he's praying that they're going to be godly. Or, of Solomon could mean that it's all about Solomon, in which case we'd probably expect this to be one of King David's psalms, and he's praying for his son, who's just about to be made king after him. Either way, it's it's what we call a royal psalm, a prayer concerning the king or leader of God's people. And as we'll see, either way, this psalm is ultimately going to be about Jesus, and our eyes are going to be looking toward him. And often in the Bible, we see this this two-stage fulfilment occurring. And um, you might see me do this... I'm just going to shout quite loudly um, for a while. You might see me do this throughout my time um, at All Saints to to get you to recognise what's going on sometimes with prophecy. But um, head-on, looking at this, you you probably... Forgive the shadows, but you probably just see one big disc in the background. Whereas actually, looking at it from a different view from hindsight or maybe history laid out linearly. You see two different disks. And when we're considering the Old Testament, you've got a partial fulfilment that happens to start with, but then you've got the final full fulfilment. And sometimes you mistake the partial fulfilment because you're left thinking about this big thing. And it's only when we flip history that way and we get to the end of Solomon's reign, maybe, where we see he was just a partial fulfilment and actually, this, this promise in this psalm pointed to something much bigger, much better. So I hope that's helpful. I mean, you can think about mountains as well. Sometimes when you look at a range of mountains, you see the one big mountain in the distance, and you think that there's only one mountain there. But actually, as you start driving, you realise that there were loads of mountains leading up to that one big mountain. So anyway, that's what we're thinking about when we read the Bible, um, and especially the prophets, and especially prophecy. There's usually partial fulfilments Ahead of the big fulfilment. So there's going to be two halves. Sorry to this sermon, and um, I'm going to spend the first few minutes. Sorry about that. Wake up. <laughs> first few minutes on partial fulfilment, and then we'll think about the full fulfilment in Jesus. So, um, firstly, then partial fulfilment. There is no doubt that King Solomon did portray many of the qualities uh, prayed for in this psalm. So, verse one. Have you got your, your psalm open still? It's on the screen above. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. And you will remember, you were taught in Sunday school, King Solomon was a wise king. Uh, God gave Solomon, didn't he, a kind of genie-like wish. Look, ask for anything that you want. And what does Solomon ask for? Wisdom, exactly. And um, I don't know about you, at times I probably would have asked for like eight hours sleep. Maybe just a solid eight-hour sleep, but Solomon he saw past that, and he asks for wisdom. And wisdom he was given. With that wisdom, he governed justly. And you'll remember again another another episode. You probably heard about it in Sunday school, although it's always quite a, a dodgy one for Sunday school because it's it's quite um, raw. Where um, a mother steals another mother's baby, and uh, and Solomon is presented with this case: who's the who's the who's the real mother? And what does he say? Yeah, cut the baby in half. But obviously, he was never going to go there. But he was just teasing out who the real mother would be because the real mother would show her emotion. And that's what happens. And everybody applauds Solomon for his amazing wisdom and justice. likewise, with wisdom came good decisions and investments. That meant wealth. And so, verse 15, Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him. And again, we remember the queen of Sheba. Travelling from afar, modern-day Yemen, to visit King Solomon. And once there, she was absolutely awestruck, not just by his wealth, but by his wisdom. So much so that she praised God and gave him 120 talents of gold. And believe you me, that's a lot of gold. So all in all, these verses certainly were in part fulfilled by King Solomon. But, and this is a really big but, Solomon certainly did not ultimately fulfill all the hopes, prayers, and longings of this psalm. And as you know, I'm sure, sadly, towards the end of his reign, 1 Kings 12 tells us that actually he became something of an oppressor of God's people. He burdened the Israelites financially with the cost of his extensive building projects, not to mention the support of his court, his army, his 700 wives. I mean... 700 wives. Just imagine if they all wanted anniversary gifts. That's like, that's almost two a year. Um, What if they had expensive tastes? I mean, well. (laughs) And then obviously there's verse 5 in our psalm. It says, May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. And okay, we haven't had too much sun this weekend. But it is there. Believe you me, it is still there. It's still rising. And the moon is certainly still there. And yet, Solomon isn't. He's died. And perhaps, verse 5, it's just an expression. But it is an expression that quite literally becomes true with King Jesus. He will outlive and outlast the moon and the sun. So I hope you can imagine yourself as a Jew Jew, uh, during the reign of King Solomon 3,000 years ago. Sure, you might think that on the whole, you know, the king, Saul, he's a pretty cool king, he's pretty amazing. But if you had this psalm, Psalm 72, opened in front of you, then there would be this sense of just a little bit of dissatisfaction. Because you'll be left longing for something more, which which he doesn't quite fulfill in this psalm. I'm going to keep on getting this word wrong. Sehenzucht. Z- 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 yeah, that word. It keeps on popping up. Uh, before we move on to the full fulfillment I, about Jesus, I just wonder if we could just for a few moments pause and think about how our prayers could match some of the prayers prayed in Psalm 72. So let's just, for the sake of application, imagine this is David praying for his son Solomon. So particularly speaking to parents at the moment, how do we pray for our kids? This is a really good question to touch on. I might be praying just straight off this psalm. And this would be wrong, by the way. Lord, may young Joshua and Jesse have dominion from sea to sea. May desert tribes bow down before them and enemies lick their dust. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> because, you know, that's, that's to be worshipped and that alone is for Jesus. So I'm not going to pray along those lines. But am I praying? Are you praying for your children that, that Joshua, that he'd be faithful to God? That verse 5, he'd fear God. Verse 4, he'd defend the poor. Verse 13, take pity on the weak and needy. Are you praying that for your kids? Because it is so easy, isn't it, to just focus on what our culture focuses on. Too much on the present, that young Joshua would get good grades at school, that he wouldn't get involved in the wrong crowd at school, that he'd get a good job, that he'd earn 50,000 pounds a year, have a lovely family with two or three well-behaved children, and he'd have a house that he doesn't need to pay a mortgage on. None of that matters, friends. What matters the most is that our children are godly. They grow up fearing the Lord. Another prayer. How do we pray these kinds of prayers for our nation's leaders? And obviously, we think of our new king, King Charles III. We're expressly told, by the way, I know we're not a very um, traditional <laughs> church, we don't um, look too much at the Book of Common Prayer. I think that's fair to say. Um, <laughs> But we are expressly told in the Book of Common Prayer to pray for our queen and our king. Um, we need the, the Book of Common Prayers to be updated. And far too often in my old parish um, after the queen's death, we pray for the quick king. Um, <laughs> but let's pray that Charles and our government would, verse 2, be judging with righteousness. Verse 4, defending the afflicted. And again, we've got to be careful here because we need to remember that the church is not a nation. We're not born into this nation, the church. It's a people and a family, and we decide to to, to become a part of that. And I say that because if we're not careful, as happened with some early missionary endeavours, rather than sharing Jesus, we shared what we thought was a Christian, civilised Western culture, And we made other nations with wonderful, vibrant, expressive cultures conform to a top hat and tails in 40 degree heat. Let's remember that Jesus did not wear a suit and tie. And here's the real challenge. Just imagine if we added up all the times this last year. (laughs) This is going to be like a dagger into your heart, I'm sure, if you're anything like me. Add up all the hours in this last year you've moaned about a political leader. Yeah? Or a party. And now, ask the question could I have spent those times moaning in prayer? <laughs> could I have been praying for my political leaders instead? Uh, believe me, I, I, I feel that challenge. And I love that lane, uh, line. line um, some of you will listen to Lectio 365. I first came across it through that, but it's a line famously from Blaise Pascal, and it says, God grants our prayers the dignity of causality, which means somehow, and um, Juliet was speaking to you about this yesterday, wasn't I? Um, somehow, despite God knowing the answer to all our prayers before we even pray them, somehow he weaves in our prayers and uses our prayers to bring about his will, the dignity of causality. Wow. Uh, finally, how do you pray this stuff, these prayers and this psalm for your church leaders? Do you pray this stuff for the likes of me? Did you pray it for Jonathan and Jenny? Do you pray it for the staff team? And again, <laughs> just think about all the time you'll spend moaning <laughs> about your, your vicar or your staff team. Um, somebody in my last church talked about um, having meals um, after church, a Sunday roast, and they talked about roasting the vicar. Um, LAUGHTER Please if you want to do that you don't need to waste your sunday roasts roasting the bit just come and tell me to my face okay it's easier that way but on a serious note do you pray for your leaders in church big questions anyway that's partial fulfillment let's move on to the ultimate fulfillment and very quickly i just want to show you how jesus is the perfect answer to all of the things in this psalm And I'm going to narrow uh, the prayer down to to four areas. Firstly, in this psalm, we see Jesus' righteous justice. So verses 1 and 2 again. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. And in all honesty, we know, don't we, we're living in an age of, of huge technological advancement, but actually... Truly, how great is living right now? How just is society and the world? Uh, maybe it might be great for us as individuals, but when we think more globally, just think about peace, peace since World War II, around the world, how much has there actually really been? I mean, if we could add up all of the months, weeks, or days when there's been no conflict anywhere, we'd probably be talking hours, maybe minutes, not much. And we think of all the judgment calls having to be made over what measures to be taken over, border control, who to let in, who to keep out. Think of all the secret crimes taking place hourly on the dark parts of the internet. Have any of you ever been phoned up by somebody pretending to be your bank advisor? Yeah? No? I certainly, I've been phoned up multiple times. Um... I don't know whether to share this, is a bit, sorry, I'm going way off piste here. I was once phoned up by somebody, Ellie's. oh no, she's giving me the share, maybe I shouldn't. You <laughs> 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 kind of, um, yeah, it's a bit naughty, so forgive me. Um, but I was shocked as well, so this isn 't anything to do with me I didn 't plan this, um, but I was phoned up by somebody saying that they were from Natwest, and it was just obvious that they most definitely weren 't from Natwest. It was a private number that had been blocked, and it was about nine thirty at night time and so I said, "Look, I appreciate you're just trying to get ahead, um, but what you 're doing is wrong, you know because you 're going to be um, confusing." some people who are on their own and and they're going to take this as a legit phone call and you're going to be robbing them and then this guy said Gregory Cushing? and I said yes and he said um, the rectory, Vicarage Hill, Lockswood RH140RG and I said yes and then excuse me he said you have a small penis and hung up <laughs> um, and I could make some jokes about that. I'm not going to, but it was just, that's the world that we're living in. Um, It's unjust, and people don't like being called out, and so they'll put it back on you. Where is the justice? Uh, And I know I've just made a joke, but on a serious note, you know, we, all of you, you'll be walking around Peckham on a day-to-day basis, and you'll be walking past brothels without even realising it, where mainly women and some children will be held there against their will. That's the world that we live in. We cry out for justice because we're made by a just God. And justice is this longing deep down inside. But we know it's not going to be ultimately satisfied until we see Jesus face to face. Uh, Yesterday, the Archbishop of Canterbury said to King Charles, whilst giving him a sword, he said, receive this kingly sword May it be to you and to all who witness these things a sign and symbol, not of judgment, but of justice, not of might, but of mercy. Trust always in the word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, and so faithfully serve our Lord Jesus Christ in this life that you may reign forever with him in the life which is to come. Amen. I think it was quite a moving service I've heard, very very Christian, it felt I've read the liturgy of the service, and it feels more like an ordination service. Um, But again, we're reminded that ultimately Jesus is the one who can bring about justice. And even whilst walking on this earth, we see him not um, losing it. Even with the the turning of the tables in the temple, it's very considered. I read a great book um, last year, speaking to Jonathan about it, Gentle and Lowly. Some of you will have read it. Such a good book. But there's one chapter where it talks about how Jesus, in the, the text of the Gospels, when he goes into the temple, before he flips over the tables, he just starts weaving together the thread of the whip that he's going to be using to, 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 to whip and cast out the, you know, the, the, the sellers. And it's just that, when you think about it, he's so considered, he takes time. He knows exactly what he's doing, just weaving that thread. He doesn't lose it. He is the perfect king of justice. And we know he's merciful as well. We think of that woman caught in adultery. And he says, look, who's without sin? Cast the first stone. And then he also has the courage to say to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. Um, secondly, we see Jesus' refreshing endurance, uh, verses 5 and 6. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a moan field, like showers watering the earth. And I don't know about you, but one of my favorite things is the smell of freshly cut grass. I love that. And it's that, that sense of, of delight and refreshing which ultimately Jesus brings I, um, I sold my telescope uh, just before moving to London because I thought the, the, the light pollution would kind of inhibit me seeing anything out there. Um, but I remember some, some times in lockdown just looking out and I was able to see um, Saturn, uh, Jupiter. I saw the, the flat ring around Saturn in my living room, although it's 1.5 billion kilometers away. It was in my front room. Again, Jesus is going to outlive Saturn. This is our Jesus. He is awesome. And we think back to those supernovas we used to to watch of of, of stars dying or or see pictures of of stars dying in our textbooks at school. Jesus has and will sit back and watch every single one of them like watching some fireworks. Um, One time I was out in Mozambique and I was doing a, a a preaching workshop for some pastors who had just had um john's gospel translated into Macondy. Um and it was we were preaching and it's first being translated into portuguese and then it was being translated into Macondi. and uh it started raining we were in this tin hut and it was raining so heavy it was the first rains of the wet season literally the first day and uh we had to stop because it was so loud on the roof. And, and nobody really minded because we were just so pleased that the rains had come. But literally in a few hours, where all the rain had been falling down on the side of this building into the, to the really hard kind of clayey soil, within a few hours there had been some little green shoots start to poke their head, head up in the soil. I couldn't believe that. But apparently that is the norm for the first rains. It was absolutely amazing. Jesus, his reign isn't just refreshing, it brings life in all of its fullness. Uh, Thirdly, Jesus' kingdom is a never-ending kingdom. So verses 8 to 11. May he rule from sea to sea and from from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. And here in those verses, you just have the scope of Jesus' rule. Tarshish. Does that name ring any bells? Yeah, one particular prophet? Jonah, yeah, he tries to flee to Tarshish, doesn't he? That, that place representing um, the, the end of the, the world, going AWOL. And uh, it's somewhere in southern Spain, I think, these days. Sheba is in southern Arabia, modern Yemen. Seba, a North African nation. We're talking a rule that extends everywhere and into Ashburnham and therefore into Peckham as well. And here all nations, all races, united and agreed, worshipping their one true king. I mean, this, in one sense, is that dream Martin Luther King had, but it exceeds that dream because it's far better than any of us can ever dream. We think about when Jesus was born, the most extraordinary gifts were brought to him from afar by the Magi. We think about the early church and how the dividing wall between the Jew and the Gentile came crashing down. And we remember Jesus' great commission. Go to all nations. Why all nations? Because everything is his. Everything. I just have a a Chinese friend I grew up with in school. And (laughs) he was a bit of a comedian. Um, He got a a tattoo. And this is at the age of like 14. Um, He got a tattoo of a, a barcode on his tummy. And underneath the barcode, Made in China. Um, (laughs) as a 14 year old that was quite funny but you're to know each of you in this room although you can't see it you have a message on your forehead that says made by Jesus fourthly and finally we see Jesus' mercy verses 12 to 14 for he will deliver the needy who cry out the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence for precious is their blood in his sight. And again, the king depicted here in his future heavenly kingdom, we get the sense, and again, this is close to home for us at All Saints, but we get the sense that there will be no need for, for things that we've had need for down here, such as Black Lives Matter or painful listening exercises, because every race, every color, every person will be heard and embraced when they call out to this king, their king. Racism is abhorrent, and it has no place in Jesus' perfected kingdom and with the kingdom depicted here, there'll be no need for families carrying fragile newborns to risk everything and boarding an inflatable dinghy in darkness to cross raging oceans as refugees. He will save the needy. And I think, friends, this is why we, we watch those utopian films like Avatar. Because they give us this picture of, 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 of a better place. And we grab a hold of it and we say, yeah, we really want that. And although we're Christians and we have this hope, we know that ultimately there's still a bit of dissatisfaction because we want to see Jesus face to face. And we want the brokenness that we experience right now to come to an end. I'm going to close in a second. I've recently been reading, well, not recently, a few, well, last year really, actually, um, I was reading this, 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 this book, Peace Child. Anybody read this in here? Yeah? Got one or two hands. It is such a good book. I highly recommend it. It records how Don and Carol Richardson, a Canadian missionary couple, went to live amongst the cannibalistic Saori tribe of Western New Guinea back in 1962. And interestingly, the Sauri tribe had a strange culture. They honoured treachery as an ideal. It meant that they would befriend people from other tribes. They'd feed them up, fatten them, only to betray them, kill them, and then eat them. Pretty horrendous. The first time Don and uh, Carol told the Sari story, the, uh, uh, the gospel, they mentioned Judas Iscariot betraying Jesus, and Judas Iscariot got a round of applause. They cheered Judas Iscariot. He was the hero in their culture. Anyway, without spoiling the book for you, there is this climatic moment where two tribes offer peace to one another, and it comes about through one tribe giving another tribe one of their own baby sons. Again, I mean, it's a million miles away from our our culture. And the tribe all then came and laid hands on that baby as a sign of peace. Now, understandably, Don was a bit worried for the safety of these two babies, now cut off from their biological parents, living in different tribes. But the Sari assured him, You've been urging us to make peace. Don't you know that it is impossible to have peace without a peace child? And from that point on, Don knew just how to present Jesus to save these Sari tribes because Jesus, isn't he? He is the once and for all peace child who is able to rescue all the weak and needy from the ravages of death. And it's just that final prompt from our weekend. Have you called on him? I, um, I love the fact uh, that King Charles, uh, as I mentioned, I have watched the YouTube uh, services that all those uh, years ago he did uh, visit um, All Saints um, as, as a prince. And um, believe it or not, this plaque, I don't think King Charles III would be very happy with where this plaque has been residing. Because this plaque has been residing in the downstairs loo of the church office. <laughs> but it's quite poignant... Because as I said the other day, King Charles only visited, Jesus lives with us, but Jesus stepped in as King of Kings purposefully to enter our mess and to serve us. And King Jesus, the King above all kings, certainly wouldn't balk at having a plaque in a downstairs toilet because he came to serve us and pour out his life for us. But having done that, should we not raise his plaque to the highest of highs because he is our king. Friends, I'm going to end uh, now but that is just a little bit of this longing to see Jesus face to face. There is a bit of dissatisfaction now As, as high as this weekend has been, as joyful as it's been, we just want to see him face to face. And I hope whoever you are, you've come along. If you've been a bit dissatisfied with life, you've been a bit low, then I hope just having a sense of the body that cares for you has just lifted your spirits a little bit. Um, There is one challenge there. If you're still feeling high, if you came here high, and you just want to give everything to Jesus, then I guess I want to ask you, with this Psalm 72 in mind, what are you willing to do for him in the present? We've got the future to come that's awaiting us. We're going to see him face to face. But right now in the present, what are you going to do for him? How are you going to serve him? So many things you can do. And we just think about some of the heroes of the past. have thought about William Wilberforce, the abolition of the slave trade. Think about um, the Quaker, Elizabeth Thryde, like transforming prisons to be more humane. Um, A Protestant started Sunday school back in the 1780s to give kids who worked six days a week down in the mines a chance to learn to read and write. Believe it or not, Sunday schools weren't just about coloring in masks and, and worksheets. What is God laying on your hearts? So many things you could be doing for him in Peckham tomorrow. You could start up this week. You could plan and start up next month, next year. What are we going to do as a church? Jesus did not die for you to just live an ordinary life, a normal life. Friends, time is too short for that.